we welcome Randy Howard. Um, for those of you who don't know Randy, Randy is pastor, lead pastor of the Gate Church of the High Desert. He is also the leader of Gateway Strategies International, and he is the director of our national network of churches, Kingdom Ministries USA. So Randy wears a bunch of hats. He travels all over the place. I mean, uh, I think you've had to be intentional about staying home or you might never be home. Is that right, Tammy? Um, everybody wants Randy to come and speak at their church. So, But uh, he has a special ministry, and I want to say this as, as uh, just from the eldership of this church. We believe in Randy's apostolic gift to build the church. And so... I just get really excited when we have Randy come because he's just got a special gift set that always helps me move forward as a pastor, but I think helps us as a church. So Randy, we welcome you, brother. Let's receive him. Yes. He, he. That way I don't have to look down so far for my notes here. Make sure, there we go, that's a little bit better. That's right, over 40, yeah, way over 40 actually. Uh, we won't talk about how far over 40, but anyway. Good morning. It's great to see you all here this morning. What a beautiful day it is. A little bit windy, but we're used to the wind and where I live. And uh, But it's a gorgeous day in Oklahoma. And we're delighted to be here. I'm excited to be able to travel with my wife this weekend. And I'm glad you got to meet her. And so I've uh, just been real thrilled to spend time with different leaders and, and had some good food and just some good fellowship. And uh, we're just uh, delighted uh, to be a part of God's people. Are you glad to be here this morning? All right. Well, half of you are. All right. Well, good. I'm glad some of you are glad to be here. And if you're watching, I'm sure, yeah, there's a camera right here. Hello out there in TV world. I always wanted to say that. But anyway, it's good to have those of you who are watching us on Facebook and other mediums. And we welcome you to the service today as well. I want you to take your Bibles this morning. Turn to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. And while you're doing that, let me just bring you greetings from the Gate Church, our church in Southern California. Uh, they'll be starting their service here in just an hour or two. And uh, my son will be preaching this morning. And so we are glad to be networked together uh, with KMUSA, Kingdom Ministries USA, which is a number of churches across the country. And we're so glad you are part of that fellowship. Uh, I want to talk to you this morning, hopefully to just be an encouragement and to gain some insight from the life of one of our great uh, heroes of the faith, from the life of Abraham. I call it Lessons from the Life of Abraham. And I want to talk about separation and surrender, what it means to separate from things in an act of surrendering our lives to God. And I believe this is God's criteria for a life of blessing. And certainly God wants to bless us, but I also think that we can put hindrances and obstacles in our life, or allow hindrances and obstacles in our life to keep us from the blessing of the Lord. And so I want to just deal with that just a little bit this morning. Someone once said, uh, God doesn't ask for much, 
He asks for everything. And uh, I think that's true. We are, we are, however, as human beings, sometimes we're okay with giving God much, but he isn't interested in having a little. He isn't interested in having a lot. He isn't interesting in, interested in having much or more. He wants it all. Can you say all? Yes. All right, I'm going to get you to kind of help me preach this morning. Is that all right with you? I'll have you repeat some words that I think are important. I tell our people all the time, all means all, and that's all all means. He wants it all. Now, some would think this to be unfair, believing that God has given us what we have so that we can enjoy it. That seems to be our attitude in life too often. But this is to miss the nature of God and it's to miss his eternal purpose for our lives, for human life. God has not given you what you have for your enjoyment. He has given you what you have so that he can enjoy it through you. Can I get an amen? All right. You see, he has given you what you have in order that he may enjoy it, not that you may enjoy it. Now, do we get enjoyment out of it? Of course, we enjoy the blessings of the Lord. Of course, we enjoy the possessions that he gives us to steward. So there is a a beneficiary uh, advantage to the things that God has given to us, the things that he's blessed us with. But that's really not, it's not for your enjoyment. It's for his enjoyment so that we can in turn enjoy him enjoying us. Does that make sense? You see, you were made and you were purposed for God's good pleasure. The Bible tells us this. Let me give you some scripture for that. Just listen to these verses. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5 and 6. It says, In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will or the or another translation says according to the purpose of his good pleasure so you were created you were predestined for god in order for him to enjoy you and verse 6 goes on to say to the praise of his glorious grace which he has blessed us in the beloved then ephesians 2:10 says this For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So again, we are created for good works. We are his workmanship. He has designed us. He has fashioned us. He has made us for his good pleasure. In Revelations 4.11, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things, and by you will, were they, will they exist, and by your hand were they created. So again, creation is for God's good pleasure, not our good pleasure, even though there is pleasure in what God has created for us as well. And then Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work of his and for his good Pleasure. So, am I making that point clear enough? So, yet, with all this understanding that we have from Scripture concerning that we've been created for His good pleasure, it's so difficult for humans to still give over everything to God. We delight in what we have, we pride ourselves in what we have achieved on our own. That's just our human nature. And that human nature has to change. I told the men this weekend, I said, you know, our first nature 
is sinful in the sense that we are in Adam. So what has to happen is our hearts have to be transformed, our minds have to be renewed, so that now we do not operate according to our first nature, but rather to a second nature. So the things of God, the spiritual things of God that have been implanted into our life, gifted into our life, blessed into our life, now have to become second nature for us. So we can no longer delight in what we have. We can no longer pride ourselves in what we have achieved on our own. We can no longer be the possessive race that we are by nature in Adam. But rather, we must take delight and enjoyment in that new nature that God has given to us so that he can enjoy the new creation that he has made in you and me. Amen? He gets no enjoyment, however, in anything that you have or anything that you do if he doesn't first have you. God wants you for himself. And he doesn't want just much of you. He doesn't want a lot of you. He wants all of you. Amen? So the hardest thing in the world is to comprehend that our thoughts and our ideas belong to God, that our motives and our actions belong to him, our time and our talent all belong to God not to mention our possessions. But too often we reserve these things for ourselves, thinking that we deserve what we have. I've often said to our people and wherever I go, anything above burning in hell is a privilege. Because in reality, we don't deserve anything in this world. I mean, God could have just, you know, he could have uh, just taken Adam and Eve out and completely started over, and none of this would have ever happened. He could have gone a whole different direction, a whole new route, but he chose to deal with us and to allow human race to exist and to continue to flow forward. But anything that we receive from God is a privilege. And so let us not think of ourselves more highly than we ought. God the Father is calling us to a deeper place in him. He is calling us to a deeper place of total surrender. He has actually pointed his finger, his divine finger in the chest of the church, which is us, we are the church. He's pointed his divine finger in the chest of the church, touching us very hard. And he says to us, and these are profound words, stick them up. He says, stick them up. It's like when you're a little boy, some of us guys will remember, you stuck your finger out and you said, stick them up. And we played cops and robbers or cowboys and Indians. But God is saying, stick them up. What is he saying? I want you to surrender to me. I want you to put your, not your, just your hands up, I want you to put your heart up. And I want you to surrender it all to me. And so the finger of God is what we must see today as he is pointing out to us some significant things. The Bible says in Luke chapter eleven twenty, Jesus said, if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Think about that. If I, by the finger of God, point out demons, in other words, I call out demons, I cast out demons, then you will know because of that act, the kingdom of God has come upon you. The greatest demon in our lives is our carnal flesh, is our selfishness. Would you agree with that? You see, Jesus desires to deliver us from ourselves to the place of full surrender. And by the finger of God, he is dealing with our hearts on a daily basis. That's why crisis comes into our life. Crisis doesn't come because God hates you 
or he doesn't love you or like you. Crisis doesn't come in our lives for those reasons. Crisis comes into our life in order to point out in our lives what is wrong with us so that we can become pure of heart and we can become holy before a holy God. Are you hearing me this morning? You see, by the finger of God, he's dealing with our hearts, he's dealing with our flesh, he's dealing with our selfishness each and every day so that we might come to a place of experiencing the fullness of his kingdom blessing. A great example of all that I've said thus far is the life of Abraham. He had much difficulty in his life, but every difficulty he went through, every crisis that he experienced, every chaos and all the confusion that that marked his life, he had to go to another level of surrender where he gave his heart once more fully over to God. And so I want to look at uh, Genesis chapter 12, and I want us to begin there. And I want us to begin to, as we, we chart the course of Abraham's life, I want us to identify some things in our own lives that may need to be dealt with as we are, are also totally surrendering ourselves to God. In Genesis chapter 12, it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, verse 1, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Now I want you to pay close attention to that because we're going to come back to that here in just a few moments concerning Lot. Now, God told Abram, who became Abraham later, but at this point his name was Abram, to leave his country and his kindred. Now, you may be familiar with this story, but that's fine. Sometimes we can see stories and we read it for years and years and we point out certain things, but then we read it again and we see different sides of the story that speak to us where we are. And that's what I want to happen today. But what God told Abram was to leave his country and his kindred. He said, I want to bless you. But the reason he asked him to leave his country and his kindred, his family, and, and that which was, was all a part of his life was because God wanted to bless him and he knew that there were some things that could stand in the way of the blessing, could stand in the way of the purpose of God. Again, what does God want to do? God wants to enjoy the things that he's created through Abram. He wants to enjoy Abram. He wants to enjoy his family. He wants him to, to, to enjoy the journey that Abram's going to go on, that God's going to take him on. God wants to enjoy the plans and the purposes that he has now for this man and his whole future. But he also knows that he can't enjoy him if he can't bless him. And he knows he can't bless him if there are certain things in his life that become an obstacle or a hindrance to those blessings. So he says to him, number one, separate yourself from the hindrances to blessing. If you're making notes, that's my first point. God says to Abraham, separate yourself from the hindrances to blessing. And there was a step that was required of him. And here it is. Are you ready? Forsake familiarity. Forsake what's familiar to you. 
Because familiarity can be an obstacle to faith. Think about it in our own lives. We, get, we grow accustomed to patterns. We grow accustomed to habits. We grow accustomed to rituals and things that are patterned in our life. And, and, and that becomes what's familiar to us. And then sometimes God comes along. He wants to bless us. But because we're so attached to certain things in our lives, it becomes a hindrance to the blessing of God in our life. And sometimes what God says is, I want you to separate yourselves from those things so that I can bless you more fully, so that you can totally surrender to me and operate in a lifestyle of faith so that I can bless you. But too often that seems to be difficult for us. Familiarity is our comfort zone. It is our security blanket. We develop certain patterns in our lives that become comfortable. And then when God challenges us to change, and by the way, God is challenging us to change every day of our lives. Paul was the one who teaches us that. Paul says, I die daily. What was he saying? He's saying, I've got to die today to the way I've been living so that I can find a new path today in God. In other words, a freshness in God today that I didn't have yesterday. And tomorrow, another level of freshness will come into my life. Every day, God wants us to change. And we're being conformed. We're being molded. We're being shaped further into the image of God. Are you still out there? All right. So this is the challenge. We are challenged to move sometimes in different directions. And it pains us to do that because we've grown accustomed to the places that we are. Often we put off what God speaks because of this comfort in our lives. And, and God is saying, listen, you know, don't be afraid of change. Don't be afraid of the transforming process that I am working out in your life. And sometimes it takes crisis in our life. And, and what we do is we try to resist, we try to avoid the crisis, we try to avoid the challenges and the chaos in our lives instead of embracing it in faith because that's the only way you really can, right? Is to embrace it in faith, to trust God, to believe that he knows what's better for you than you know for yourself. And so with Abram, he is challenging him to leave that which is familiar, to get away from this land, to get away from your kindred. He says, get up and move. Don't stay in comfort. Don't stay in safety. Don't stay in in the surroundings that are familiar because I want to bless you and I want to move you from this place so that I can fully bless you in every conceivable way. But that takes faith. Everybody say faith. 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 What is faith? I was talking to the men over the weekend as well about this. And I said, faith for me, this is how I define it, is focus. It's focus. Faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. But the substance and the evidence are the things that we must focus our attention on, even if we can't see it with our human eye. We focus on the source of of power in our life. Who is that? Of course, it's the Lord. He is the strength of our lives. He is the one who will make all things new for us. But we must keep our focus on him, which means we have our faith and our trust in him and him alone. And so faith is often hindered by familiarity. Focus 
on God sometimes is distracted because we are focused on that which is familiar, that which is comfortable. We have our eyes locked in on the things that we enjoy as opposed to sometimes getting our eyesight on the things that God enjoys. And we have to discern and differentiate between the two. Faith is often hindered by familiarity, which then requires, here's something else, spiritual flexibility. That's what we need in our lives. And the only way that you can be flexible in the spirit is by the word of God working in your life. It's like, you know, I use this example sometimes about being limber, you know, being limber. You got to get up, you got to exercise, you got to move sometimes to get the blood flowing. And when the blood is flowing, it lubricates your internal organs and all that's within you so that you can be more flexible. You know, if you take a stiff piece of leather and you want to make it flexible, what do you do? You take some oil and you oil it down. And that's what the Holy Spirit is for. The Holy Spirit is the lubricant source of power, spiritual power in our lives, which makes us flexible so that we can literally move our eyes better away from that which is familiar and see the things that God wants us to focus on. Does that make sense? So, that, so faith is often hindered by familiarity, and it requires spiritual flexibility, and flexibility is key when it comes to our relationship with God. So for Abram, it took great faith and trust to go to that which was foreign to him. God said, I want you to get up and go to a land. Now, he didn't say which land. He didn't tell him where to go. He said, go and I will show you as you go. Faith is an as-you-go experience. Because you are just saying, okay, I'm putting all my trust, all my hope, all my focus on this new source of power, God, in my life. I'm taking my eyes off of familiar surroundings. I'm taking my eyes off of kindred and family. I'm taking my eyes off of ritual and customs and the way we've always done things. And I'm going to put my eyes on a new source in a new direction. And I must be flexible enough to be able to do that. And then i got to trust God that he knows what's best. And so God told him to get up out of here, the strange land, get up out of the strange land, and how scary must that have been for him to go to a foreign place, a place unfamiliar. It's so difficult for us to follow after God when he instructs us, especially when he doesn't give us the full details. You ever prayed and prayed and God tells you to do something and then you go, okay, and then you're asking him a follow-up question. Okay, you're telling me to do this. Now, tell me all the details as to how I'm supposed to pull this off. And God says, no, I'm not going to tell you the details. But we want to fold our arms and go, well, then I I guess I'll just wait on the Lord. That sounds spiritual, right? It's scriptural. I'll wait on the Lord. And he said, I don't want you to wait. I want you to get up and go. Well, where am I going? Don't worry about where you're going. Just do what I'm telling you to do. And as you take one step of faith, guess what? He gives you the strength, the energy, the power to take the second step. But it's a faith-as-you-go process. And that's what he's asking of Abram here. Stepping out of your comfort zones and moving to unfamiliar territory, Abram, is going to be hard for you, but it's what I'm calling you to do. And I think that's what he's doing in many of our lives here this morning. I know he's doing that to me constantly. You see, if it were easy, everyone would do it, right? 
So it takes faith, faith. But God only directs you to go where you can fulfill his purpose for his good pleasure. He will never call you to a, to a bad place. He'll always call you to a place where you can fulfill your destiny, but your destiny is to bring him pleasure. And that's the whole purpose of life, isn't it? So in applying the principle, principles that we see here to our lives, we shouldn't apply it just in terms of geographical location. It's, it, we're talking here about a spiritual relocation of the heart. It's getting our heart off of the things that we focus on that limit the blessing, the anointing, and the power of God in our lives and relocating our heart onto those things that open up a whole world of spiritual destiny. See, the Father requires faith in all of this and knowing all the answers ahead of time is of no use to our full development in faith. Faith begets faith. Just like the journey that we're on, the Bible says that we're going from what? Glory to glory, right? From faith to faith. And, and that means when I experience faith where I'm at at the moment, as soon as I take an, a step of faith, more faith comes. And faith builds faith. It's like muscles. The more you work out with weights, the stronger you get, the more muscle mass you gain. And that's exactly the way faith is working in our lives. God wants to give you all the faith that you can handle, but you can only handle so much at the place where you are. You've sometimes got to move to get more. And so if it is our ability then it is absent of God's presence. It's not about our ability. It's just about our obedience. It's about our step in the right direction as God directs us. But the presence of faith guarantees the presence and the power of the Lord. So the first step required of Abram was for him to forsake familiarity, which was an obstacle to faith. The second thing that we see about this hindrance to blessing is that there was a sanctification required. And that was to abandon idolatry. And abandoning idolatry is a necessity, a necessity for holiness. Now think about where Abram was. He lived in Iraq, Mesopotamia, which is modern-day Iraq. And God is saying, I want to get you up out of this place. I want to move you to another place. I'm not going to tell you where, just trust me. But I need you to remove yourself from that place, from your family, from your kindred, from your culture, because in that place it's full of idolatry. And I can't bless you in the midst of idolatry. So I want you to get up out of this place and move and abandon idolatry. Abram's family were all idol worshipers. Even Abram was an idol worshiper before God called him. God called him out of that darkness to move him into a place of light. And so what he's basically saying to us today is the same thing because you would be surprised. I, I don't think you'd be surprised because you're pretty, uh, pretty well uh, versed in scripture and understanding here at this church. But the bottom line is there are many, many Christians who are idol worshipers. There's a lot of idolatry in the church. What do I mean by that? I mean that there are many who are living dual lives. Dualism, where we, we, we say we believe one thing, but we've got our focus and our attention on some other things that God's not pleased with. 
We've prioritized things in our life. And anything that's prioritized over what God has called you to be and what God's called you to do becomes an idol in our lives. And there's a lot of idolatry. You know, you don't have to have a little Buddha sitting on your, you know, mantle piece to be an idolater or an idol worshiper. Our idols are those things that are hidden away in the heart. You know, the pleasures that we embrace for ourselves over the pleasures of God in our lives make us, even though we claim to be Christians and we may even have a legitimate salvation experience, but still, sometimes there's still idol worship going on in our lives. We idolize our patterns, we idolize our our habits, we idolize our culture, our customs, our rituals, the things that we think to be right, when sometimes God is trying to remove us from those things in order to get our attention to say, do you trust me? Will you have faith in me? Where you go, will you go into new places that I've designed for you? Will you lay down those idols? And that's what God is saying to Abram. So dualism must be discarded in our life. One cannot serve God and the world. Can I get an amen? Amen. The scriptures are clear that you cannot serve God and mammon. He will not tolerate, God will not tolerate being one of many masters. He must be our only master. In 1 John 2, verse 15, it says, Do not love the world or the things of the world or in the world. Anyone who loves the world, the love of the Father, is not in him. Now, it's interesting to note that John, when he wrote this, wasn't writing this to pagans. He wasn't writing this to unbelievers. He was writing it to the church. And he was saying to people in the church, people who have made a profession of faith, who had trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, he's saying there is still something in some of you whereby you're hanging on to the world. You're trying to have one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom of God, and it doesn't work that way. Because if that's the case, you're still holding on to an idol in your life. And God does not want to share his glory with another. And so he makes useful those who are his alone God makes useful those who are his alone and Abraham had to separate himself out from a land of idolatry he was not willing God was not willing to share the heart of Abraham with another and he could not depend upon his heritage Abraham could not for success or familiar surroundings or customs or practices he had to abandon all that he ever knew in order to embrace all that God wanted him to know and so God wanted him to depend totally upon his power and upon his leadership in life so dualism had to be discarded in Abraham's life for him to be fully blessed and used for the purposes of God same is true of us Come on, look at somebody and say, Pastor Randy's right. Go ahead. Go ahead. Come on. Talk to each other. All right. This is our break. This is our intercession here. All right. Secondly, deism must be discarded and denied. Deism. Now, what what do I mean by that? Well, deism is a belief in the existence of a supreme being on the basis of reason, but but who lives with the belief that a supernatural deity does not interact with humankind in a personal way. In other words, there's this this transcendent supreme being, but he's really not imminent. He's, He's out there somewhere, but he doesn't really interact with us. He's too busy dealing with the cosmos, all right? That's a deist, and there's a lot of deism in the church today. 
Matter of fact, you know, I would challenge you because I challenge myself all the time to see if it, there's, it's hiding away in my heart at times where I have this distant view of God but not this personal view of God. You see, deism is rampant in the church. People who believe in God but their lives are disconnected from him in a personal and an intimate way. You know people like that who, who talk God up, but they really don't interact with him on a daily basis. They don't, they don't trust him for everything going on in their lives. He's almost a last resort. It's like when everything else has been figured out or are tempted to be figured out in your head, you're trying to find a solution to your circumstances and your situation. Then when all else fails, all your reasoning, all your rationale fails, then you say, well, I guess we should pray about this. Right? Prayer becomes the last resort as, as opposed to the first thing we should submit our lives to is a personal, intimate, present reality of God by his spirit in our lives. You see, Abram was being led into a relationship, not into a religion. Abraham wasn't being led into a religion. God wasn't taking him to a foreign land to, to develop this new ritual, this new culture. Now, some of those things emerged over time, but really the main thing God was doing was leading this man into a relationship with himself. Why? Because that's the only way God can have pleasure from us. It's through an intimate, personal relationship with us. And so he, he didn't want him to be deistic. He didn't want Abraham just to believe that he was some supreme power that was untouchable somewhere out there on the, on the edge of the universe, but rather that God was going to be able to enjoy this man and this man was going to be in, able to enjoy this God and they were going to have this fruitful relationship that was going to produce something glorious. And it's all spelled out in Genesis chapter 12, the first few verses of what God wanted to do through him as he enjoyed him so this type of relationship is required in order to truly experience the blessing of the Lord in our lives is to have that intimate encounter with a holy God can I get an amen so he says remove yourself from the hindrances of blessing all right all of that I just said was all point one point two here's something else we learn from the life of Abraham he wanted, God wanted Abraham to remove himself from self-determined ideas. Remove yourself from self-determined ideas. No matter how good those ideas are, they are self-determined. Abraham was instructed to leave his nephew Lot. In other words, remove yourself from Lot's influence and your own ideas and your own plans for him. Now, we have to go back and try to figure out why did Abraham take Lot with him in the first place? Well, you see, when Abram was called of God to leave his land, he was already 75 years old. And Abram was rationalizing and reasoning out the idea of having a successor. And he's already up there in age, so he already was making his own plans. He was already having ideas that were self-determined rather than seeking the counsel of this new God in his life. He had made some determinations in his life. I call it a natural remedy, an obstacle to overcome. Lot was a natural remedy for Abraham. He figured he needed to make provision for his own future. Isn't that what we do sometimes? Sometimes. 
We make provision for our own future by coming up with natural remedies before we ever consult God and ask him, what do you want for my future? What road do you want me to travel down? What, what kind of provision have you made for me, God, as opposed to me trying to figure out my own provision and then calling it God? Isn't that what humans often do? We come up with our own solutions and say, oh, God gave me that solution. Well, did he? Maybe, maybe not. We have to really be careful with that sometimes. You see, Abram had a certain view of Lot. Having no son, Abraham thought highly of Lot, even to the point of being a possible heir to all that he had. And so as Abraham grew older, the idea of Lot became more and more inviting. You see, that's what we do. We we, we come up with these self-determined plans, schemes, ideas. And we think, well, surely God must have gave me that because this is a good idea. Yeah. You know, how many of you know a good idea is sometimes a, a, in, a, in opposition to a God idea? Yeah. You know, you can have all the good ideas and it's not that they're bad ideas. It's not even that they're evil. It's not even that they're sinful. Sometimes a good idea is an obstruction to a God idea. And so we often attempt to help God by assuming what we like or what we have could very well be because it's the plan of God. And man, sometimes we get really foggy about those things in our lives. We see the natural flow of things without realizing that what is before us could be, hear this, a trick of the enemy to keep you from God's very best. I've often said good is the enemy of the best. And so in our lives, we got to make sure that we're discerning properly. We're praying deeply. We're understanding clearly the plans, the purposes of God that is spelled out in his word, but also spelled out for my life in particular. Sometimes people come to me and they say, well, it's hard to know what God wants because it doesn't say, thus saith the Lord, you know, in a certain verse or a certain passage of scripture relative to your circumstance and situation in the present day. But the key is, there's three W's. I think I shared this with you when I was here before, but that's been now a few years. It's not enough to know God's word. Now that's, that's important and that's the starting place. We must know God's word. But here's what God's word should do for us. It should also communicate God's will. But even that's not enough. It starts with God's word that then helps us to understand God's will, but then God's will takes us to understanding God's ways. See, God's ways can only be understood through an intimate, personal relationship with him. You know, I, my wife's here, which is good, so I can use her as an example. So, you know, when we first met, we, we expressed words. We began to learn about each other through words, right? Communication. And so, and so eventually, as we communicated through words, we began to understand about one another's will. What are, what are you willing to do? What am I willing to do? What do, you, what do you want? What are the things in, your, in life that you want? What are the things in life that I want? Want and will are one and the same. What does God want? What does God will? What does Tammy want? What does she will? What does Randy want? What does Randy will? So words led to understanding each other's will and wants. 
But then, as we developed that relationship and became more personal with each other, and we ended up getting married, and, and, and of course, you know, when you get married, you think you know each other, right? It takes a little while to really come to the place where now you really know each other, right? But as we got to know each other, we began to now know each other's ways. See, ways means you've really taken word and will to a whole nother level. And now she knows my ways and I know her ways. Sometimes we don't even have to communicate. We just know each other's ways. We know each other's countenance. We know expressions on each other's faces. We know body language. I know when she's upset with me. I know when she's happy with me and vice versa. Why? Because we've learned each other's ways. You see, that's the thing with God. God wants us to get to know him through his word so that we can understand his will so that eventually we can know his ways. And so that is the whole purpose of life is to get to know God's ways so that so I I don't have to have, you know, thus saith the Lord, you should do X, Y, Z, and it's very specific, but I know God's ways, and therefore I can determine what decisions to make in life based upon God's word, will, and ways. And I can flow with that, and his spirit confirms that for me. Does that make sense to everyone? Yes. So here, we, we're seeing a, a process whereby God is wanting this man, Abram, to get to know him on this journey, to trust him by faith, so that eventually Abram will come to know his ways. And so God had to give Abram his view of Lot as opposed to just going along with Abram's view of Lot. Abram had an idea, a self-determined idea concerning Lot. But Lot was not God's promise. And therefore, God needed to keep Abram focused. What, what's another way of saying that? He needed to keep Abram in a place of faith to keep him focused. And so in an effort to keep Abraham focused on the Lord and focused on the plan of God that God could enjoy, God created a scenario that was not expected. He created this crisis between Lot and Abram, whereby the herdsmen of Lot and the herdsmen of Abraham became at odds with one another. And this brought a separation between them for a time, which gave Abraham an opportunity to see more clearly what God was doing as opposed to what he thought he should be doing. And sometimes, again, as I said earlier, that's why crisis and calamity comes into our lives. Because it's one of those ways that God says, I'm going to put a stop to your self-determined ideas because you think it's me when in reality it's not. But I can't really get your attention now. So I'm going to have to create a crisis to give you some time to think about this. It's almost a shock to our spiritual system, isn't it? And, and oftentimes we think it's the devil. I got news for you. God's more involved in creating crisis in your life than the devil ever was. Because God will create crisis not to hurt you, but to develop you. He never intends to destroy you. He always determines to develop you and to strengthen your faith, to strengthen your eyesight, to strengthen your faith to strengthen all these things in your life. And so that's what he was doing. So God sometimes has to stir up issues in our lives to separate from us what makes us feel secure. 
then we can see clearly what may very well be his perfect will. Because sometimes when we're in the midst of stuff that we think is God, we're not seeing very clearly. So if we don't get uh, disturbed, then we might find out our lot in life is something of our own making. And that's what Abram almost found out, that his lot in life may be to settle for less than God's very best. So, what was the response? Well, there was a noble response because there was the revelation of Lot's heart eventually. You see, Lot revealed his heart by choosing the best land. God said, Make, you know, give him an opportunity, see what happens. And so Abraham said, I tell you what, Lot, you choose you know, whichever direction you want to go in, you go in that direction, you can have that, and, and I'll go the opposite way. So I'm giving you the opportunity to choose. Now, this was a test. This was a test not just for Abraham, I'm sorry, not just for Lot, but it was a test for Abraham so that he could see the heart of Lot. And that's what God was giving him an opportunity to do. And so what happened is Lot revealed his heart by choosing the best land in the wrong direction. And by the choice of Lot, Abraham could clearly see that Lot was not the rightful heir and that God was now going to have to work miraculously in Abraham's life in order to provide a son of promise. You see, we are in need of staying focused more upon God's work in our lives supernaturally than our own work naturally. I want a supernatural work of God in my life, do you? See, I don't, I don't want to depend upon what I can produce. I don't want to depend upon my ability and my strength and my talent. Not at all, because I will only get what I can produce. Therefore, I must trust the Lord. And so Abram saw this, and finally, there was a reward that came. Abram, he reaped the reward of, uh, of God by receiving all the land that he could view in the other direction which we all know now became a blessing, a great blessing to his life. And so God verified and confirmed the separation between Abraham and Lot to be right and healthy by blessing Abraham abundantly with all the land that he could possibly see. But you know Abraham's human, right? Just like you and I. So we learn lessons, but how easily if we forget the lessons that we learn. Because we now move ahead in the story, and Abram once again grew impatient with God. How many times do we get impatient with God? Because God gives us a promise, and he, he verifies the promise. He shows us kind of, you know, this is the direction I want you to go. Now just trust me, and we learn some things, and we go, okay, I've, I've learned. I finally learned. I'm going to trust God all the days of my life. But all the days of your life are only about four or five days. Because in a short time thereafter, we find ourselves back in disillusion and discouragement. And so Abraham grew impatient with God's ways once again. And so he fell back into a place where he wanted to help God out. Oh, how we want to help God out. God doesn't need your help. All he needs is himself, right? And so he couldn't see what God was doing. He needed to do something. Time was getting away from him. He was getting older. So he thought, uh, you know, there's a way that seems right. And, of course, we know the Bible says that there is a way that seems right to man. But in the end, it brings about death and destruction. And so Abraham thought about something that was right. And uh, he wanted to do something. But God's ways are always beyond our ways. 
God's ways are always that we surrender to him. And if we surrender, we will eventually see what he sees. But when you're in a place uh, where you're not surrendered, you're going to have blinders on. And you're not going to be able to see what God is doing. And Abraham soon discovered this. And I'm sure he was quite embarrassed by his own actions trying to preempt God. And so here's what God said. And, and of course, you know the story about, you know, Sarah and Hagar and, and Ishmael was born. And, and God said, listen, not only was Lot not the right one, Ishmael's not the right one because he's not the son of promise. He's not the one that I will produce supernaturally through Sarah. Not Hagar. Sarah is the one that I want. But Abraham preempted God. So what does God ask of Abram? Well, this is point number three. He said, I want you to disconnect from the object that distracts your heart from my glory. I want you to disconnect from the very object that distracts your heart from my glory. That's what God was asking of Abraham. Now think about this. Abraham needed to change the place that Isaac had taken in his heart. Because now that God had given him the son of promise... You know, and, and Abraham had, quote, learned again the lesson. Okay, I preempted God. God's made it all right. And now we're back in good, good order with the Lord. But this very thing that God had given, this promise that he had given, had taken a significant place in the heart of Abraham. And so God wanted to know. You know, and, and of course, God knows our hearts. So it really wasn't so much God knowing, but God wanted to reveal to Abraham something did Abraham really love God more than his son and so Isaac had captured Abraham's heart to the degree that God needed to test Abraham Abraham needed to prove his love prove his devotion prove that he was going to continue this journey the journey wasn't over what he started back there in Iraq, Mesopotamia, leaving all of his family, leaving the journey wasn't over. The journey was still underway. The destiny had not been fulfilled. It was going to be fulfilled, but it was still taking some time. So there were some things for Abraham to still learn, just like in your life. The journey isn't over. How many of you know your journey isn't over? I don't care how young you are, how old you are, your journey's not over. God is still teaching you. He's teaching me, and he always will to the day you leave this place, right? And so, would he be willing to sacrifice Isaac to God? In other words, God was saying, remove the object of your greatest natural love and reveal your heart towards me. That's what God is saying to us today. He's saying, remove the object of your greatest natural love and reveal your heart toward me. Genesis 22. So the promise became a potential problem. Sometimes the promise that God gives you can become a potential problem if you suddenly handle the promise with pride. You can actually handle the good things of God improperly. You can handle them in order to exalt yourself. How many people out here in the, in the world, how many preachers, how many pastors have taken the gift that God has given them and they've mismanaged it? They've mishandled it. They've used it for their own glory. They've used it to elevate themselves in this world. And sometimes God, who actually literally calls people into ministry, can actually take that ministry away from them because they mismanaged it. 
And sometimes we do that in, in our life. You don't have to be a pastor to do that. God can give you a gift and you mismanage that gift or you use that gift for selfish gain. And God says, okay, you now love your gift more than the giver. And I want to I challenge you, the Lord may say. Are you willing to lay that prophetic gift on the altar? Are you willing to lay whatever that gift is that you have on the altar and, and reaffirm your commitment to me because I'm your Lord. I'm your Savior. I'm your Master. I don't want you to love my gifts more than you love me. That's what God says. And so that's what he was saying to Abram. The promise had become a potential problem. Isaac was the son of Abraham's old age and therefore a potential point of pride. I mean, I mean, come on. When you're that old and you're having kids for a man, that's pretty, hey, man, look at me. I'm, I'm all that still, right? Could have been a point of pride. So if the promise becomes a point of pride, God can intervene and make the necessary changes that will certainly go, uh, guarantee his glory. In other words, if you become so possessive of the promise that the purpose is negated, then the plan of God is hindered. Sometimes in our lives we become arrogant with words of prophecy or spiritual gifting that the purpose for the endowment are misplaced. And this then robs God of glory. See, everything in your life, everything you've been given, all your possessions, all your gifts, all your talent, it's like we said at the beginning of this message, it's not for your good pleasure, it's for his good pleasure. Isaac wasn't for Abraham's pleasure. Isaac was to fulfill the purpose of God. It was to continue the promise. It was to continue the seed. It was to develop what Genesis 12 said, this nation that's going to bless the earth. And through this nation, the Messiah would come and save sinners from their sins Amen. and so God deserves the greatest and highest praise so Isaac was the son given to fulfill God's promise and therefore he didn't belong to Abraham he belonged to God amen amen yes. y'all don't amen like my church my church shouts and hollers and throws babies in the air when I say stuff like that <laughs> so Isaac was given for God's good pleasure Perhaps Abraham lost sight of that early on. That led him to reorient his mind toward, you know, he had to be reoriented toward what God wanted. And so Isaac, the promise of God, caused Abraham to be put in a position to give up what he had become so precious to him in order to reveal the preciousness of God in his life. Now, think about this before I close, and I'm almost closing. You can say amen about that, right? I'm closing. All right, good. Yeah. So Prior to Isaac, Abraham and God had a unique relationship that could have been affected by Isaac's arrival. See, and that's what God was, is not going to let. God does not want anything to hinder his relationship with you. And he certainly doesn't want anything to hinder your relationship with him. And so God works to keep the pathway between he and you clean and clear. And so that's why sometimes life becomes problematic because of the issues that we make, not what God makes. It's the issues that we make out of our lives. And so the path became a painful process for Abraham. God required of him to give up what had become so precious to him. And I'm sure Abraham was confused at the beginning because he kept thinking, well, wait a minute, you, you, you give me this son and you say he's the son of promise only to take him away from me? How are you going to fulfill your promises? How are you going to do what you said you were going to do? I'm sure those thoughts ran through his mind just like they do for us. But at the end of the day, Abraham had to say, but, 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 okay, I, I'm going to quit 
questioning you. I'm sure you've got it all figured out because you've proven so many times in my life you have figured things out and you've done things right, God. So based on experience, I have no alternative but to trust you. Isn't that what God wants us to do? Listen, how many times has he rescued you? How many times have he saved you and pulled you out of, of, of difficulty and of pain and of tragedy? And, and we go back into it only to question God and then we have to stop and go, whoa, whoa, wait. I've seen him work in my life time and time and time again. What makes me think he can't do it one more time? Right? He can. He will because he loves you that much. He loved Abraham. He loved Isaac. And so... God's requirement is painful sometimes, but it's painful because we're still in the flesh. And, and everything that God does that's for our best is to actually kill your flesh, destroy your selfishness, so that all that's left of you is a spiritual reality that interacts with a spiritual God. And that becomes liberating to our soul. But it's painful to detach from what we have grown accustomed to. And now, again, Abraham had grown accustomed to Isaac. So what God requires of Abraham, it didn't make natural sense. It brought pain to his heart, brought pain to his flesh. How could God ask of him this particular thing? But the beauty is in the provision. Because God made a provision for Abraham, which is a powerful present. I mean, the father desired to see Abraham's faith in action to the very end. And he actually allowed Abraham to go through with this whole process right up to the mountain, right up to the point of laying Isaac on the sacrificial table, right up to the point of raising the knife. And I believe almost to the point where the energy was about to, to be expressed in the thrusting forth of the knife when God spoke out and said, Abraham, stop, stop. Now I know, now I know that you love me. Now I know that you trust me. Now I know that you have not allowed Isaac to come between you and I. Isn't that a beautiful picture of redemption? You see, this represents the sacrifice of our Savior, doesn't it? You see, God not only wanted to know Abraham's heart by seeing his actions. But I think more important than that, because we know God is omniscient, he really did know the depths of Abraham's heart. But it was more important for Abraham to now know that God loved him so much and that he loved God in return to the point that he was willing to do something so painful by taking the life of that which was most precious. You see, God challenges us not so much because God doesn't know you, but because you don't know yourself well enough yet. God wanted Abraham to know himself better than he had known himself before. And now he knew, he knew that he was devoted to God. And that, my friend, is what Jesus came to do for us is to reveal us to ourselves not just to reveal himself to us but to reveal ourselves to ourselves to help us to see and isn't that what repentance is the fruit of repentance is when we come to know ourselves as we really are and we are willing to change we are willing to move from where we are to where we need to be. And repentance then becomes part of our lives. We repent for who we were. We repent for what we've done. 
and we say, Lord, you and you alone are the only thing that means anything to me. And therefore, I totally surrender my heart to you. And I will live my life, not for my own pleasure, but for your good pleasure. The price that the Father paid by giving his Son for us was great. The lives that we live are an indication of how grateful we are for the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. You see, our lives must be lived in gratitude. I think from that point forward, we see in Abraham a life of gratitude, a life of thankfulness because of the journey that God had taken him on. And that, my friend, is what's required of us, to grow and mature and develop to the place where we can truly say, Anything above burning in hell is a privilege. You see, God loves you that much that he, he kept you and he keeps you and he secures you and he provides for you and he overwatches your life. And, and he's kind enough to even take us through pain. He's kind enough to create crisis in our life. That sounds strange, doesn't it? But he's kind enough to create crisis in your life, always to turn your heart back to himself. Because at the end and the conclusion of every crisis and every chaos and every situation in your life, we can bow our head before him and say, blessed be the Lord God who has saved me and rescued me, not only from this world and from crisis, but he has rescued and saved me from myself because that is really the key to life. Would you bow your head, please, and let me pray over you as we close this message out. I hope something I've said has been meaningful and helpful. As, as tragic as some characters of Scripture's lives are, they're filled with blessing and bring joy to us because we gain from their lives of difficulty. Many of you have gone through difficulty. Many of you have gone through crisis and struggle and, and as opposed to saying why me or I don't understand or as opposed to blaming God even if God's the cause he's without blame because it's all for our good everything is for your good he's sovereign and if we can just get a hold of some of the key things that I said just a few if you miss much of what I said, there's a couple of key things. And then the one thing that I want you to really get a hold of is that God has created you not for yourself and not for your own pleasure, but for his good pleasure. And if we can get that down in our spirit, then life becomes so joyful because now I know I don't live for me. I live for him. That means anything and everything that I go through is quite all right because at the end of the day God gets the glory Father I thank you for this opportunity to share your word to go on a journey through a man's life where lessons abound and I pray that the things that we have seen and heard today will strengthen our hearts encourage our lives and help us to see you in a whole new light. That, Lord, when we get discouraged or we get depressed or we get even disillusioned, that, Lord, we will not lose faith, but that we will refocus 
that we would pay extra attention to who you are and why you're doing what you're doing. Even if we can't figure it out, even if we don't know all the answers, we know you're good, you're kind, and you're gracious. And we glorify you anyway. To God be the glory, great things he has done. For this we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen, Pastor Nick. Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen to the New Covenant Fellowship podcast. We want to connect with you. You can visit us online at ncfokc.org for more information about our church. If God spoke to you and you'd like prayer, please text us at 405-518-5164 and we will get back with you. God bless and have a great day.